let's dive into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Roycast, the internet's first podcast about succession. My name is Brendan. I am joined, as always, every week by my co-host Kate. Hey guys. And Gabby. Hey everyone. We are joined this week by a uh, friend of the show, Twitter user, uh, Meme King, uh, Nick Houston. <laughs> Nick. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with my fellow Fly Guys, so thank you for having me. It's an absolute joy, Nick. Well, uh, seeing as we all made it to the jet, uh, shall we head to a retreat for the rich and the famous? I can think of no better thing to do. Uh, something something in the something in the woods, something in the pines, you know, waterfalls, etc. We're here to discuss episode six, uh, Argestes, I think it's pronounced a fictional sort of, you know, uh, media tech summit, uh, ideas festival, if you will. Um, seems to be based on, you know, a number of kind of Silicon Valley retreats, maybe the sort of infamous uh, Davos gathering. I think that's the, it's the island where the Golden Fleece is that Jason and the Argonauts uh, try to get. I noticed something to do with that. That's very much in line with rich tech people to, to name this like summit with $75 Cobb salads after you know, Jason and the Argonauts. Right. Also pretty darn succession. <laughs> it was a beautiful set location. I think it struck me in this episode, a major difference from, from season one, where um, for the most part, at least in the first half of the season, the Roys were mostly in, um, you know, either their offices or apartments. And, and they sometimes did go to like, you know, dazzling locations. But unlike, you know, say Sad Sack Wasp Trap, now each scene really feels like its own because they take place in distinctly different part of that location. So, you know, the all the various rooms that we see in the Sargestes sprawling estate um, slash, you know, training center. I don't I don't know what exactly the actual location is. Um, it's so sinister. Everything about it is sinister. Yeah, and, and then so they there, got the machine gun. <laughs> yeah, like the, the, the security like, yeah. yeah, so so it really illuminated that for me, just like how um how much they I think are responding to sort of some 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 of the criticism from season one, which we don't have any criticism of season one, but um, <laughs> I think um, Succession also... was, was a beautiful boy from it's our number one boy. Always the number no one boy. No complaints. But yeah, it, it just speaks to sort of the way also that now the, the way of the show, and I know Brendan, you mentioned this, is able to really drive and accelerate so much plot forward, like weeks worth of plot. But not at the expense of any other aspect of the show. And I think in season one, there were a couple of plot lines that maybe felt like they didn't get wrapped up, where threads didn't make sense, but everything is so tight now. And even with all of this, you know, really fast moving plot, it's not at the expense of any of the character arcs or um, any other technical aspect of the show. I mean, a lesser show might not be able to manage all of these um, contemporaneous plots while still sort of retaining retaining and developing um, character arcs that make sense. So, And then, of course, there's all the other technical elements like the choreography, the staging, the editing, the music, hair and makeup, just everything is so tight. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it definitely feeds into the idea also that the show has become more episodic, that, you know, we're in these locations, but every scene is taking place sort of in a different part of that location. And I know that that goes to the ongoing discussion of whether 
Succession might actually be a comedy, which we won't get into, but... <laughs> no, we're going to decide it this week. I think we just, let's, we're finally going to sort it out, guys. We're, um, we're going to get that down, and then I will figure out if Succession is actually a movie. That's, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's at the top of my to-do list after we sort out the comedy drama. Uh, bit. Oh, I was going to say we should decide whether or not we're supposed to sympathize with the characters. That's the oh, other thing God, we should figure no. out. <laughs> Well, Mike Berbiglio, what's that comic's name? Is that his name? Strike that. We're not talking about him. <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> All right. Well, he he's he has officially stated it is one long movie. So yeah. you can cut oh. that, Brendan. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, God, I hate his that. <laughs> the people aren't ready to hear that. That's that's too shocking. I know. <laughs> They'll be ready when I put it on my best films of the decade list. I will say though that it's like the show really does have a masterful use of time and I'm always fascinated at the beginning of every week of trying to figure out how much time has passed between the episodes and I think they do a Me really too. sort of yeah. savvy <laughs> job of trying to sprinkle in stuff, you know, or to, before Turnhaven, you know, Shiv was in London and she and Kendall's relationship had clearly changed since we had seen them at the end of episode four. So point being, you know, succession, right. pretty, pretty good writing. If I do say so. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Roman. I, I was actually thinking about this because I obsess over just the timeline and we know Shiv's wedding was in March. I'm assuming early March. Um, and then not that much time passed in the first few episodes of this season, but now we know Roman, did the training program and that was six weeks so we've got to be well into april and i i possibly even may at this point um so it's funny to see them all like bundled up in their uh ll bean and oh, i was gonna say it's i was my assumption was that it's later than that my assumption was that we're into autumn by now you think so i don't know i mean like i haven't mapped out like how the timeline syncs up with all that like how fast things would be expected to move um, well, I, I would agree with you but the only thing is uh that they still wear clothes like it's winter so <laughs> well they are that's... usually in like upstate new york and new england so i don't know yeah and that's been happening all season like even from summer palace they're all in sweaters and you know knits and scarves yeah so they just they just carry sort of a winter chill with them everywhere, like the queen <laughs> in uh, Narnia. Shout um, out did... to Jerry's threads. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Jerry, Jerry has the best fit of the episode. Honestly, she low key brings the fire when it comes to the fits. I mean, Jerry Jerry knows what she's doing. Oh yeah, the uh, the like ridiculous Pelosi coat she was wearing in episode four. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, that was a Pelosi coat for sure. I mean, she looks great. They've changed up her styling a little bit, too. And, you know, who can blame Roman? Oh, for sure. She has new frames. She's a, she's a stylish uh, filing cabinet that nobody notices. <laughs> but the sign we get, I think, of just, like, how, like, little time has passed, I think, is just, like, how uh, uh, desperate Logan is to close the deal with Pierce. So who knows, you know, how long that could have taken. Uh, but, you know, they're flying to our jesties with like a room full of lawyers and like the I guess the back half of the plane, you know, the downstairs half of the plane um, that Ken is, uh, you know, berating and getting them to work faster and faster um, to draw up the deal so that they can sign it as soon as possible. Yeah, I love to see uh, Ken 
a little bit more uh, reanimated this episode, like particularly thinking of like safe room and it's nice. He's uh, coming back, folks. Yeah, it's really it's really heartwarming the way he chews out all those lawyers and slaps <laughs> the chips out of their hands. It's great. Put the snacks away. We're putting the snacks away during the podcast. <laughs> there will be no snacks until we have the pure steel in hand. And that's that. Because my I dad doubt. told me to. He kind of winds up to that, right? He's like starts off. He's just kind of he, like robotically reciting it, and then he like really winds up and starts yelling. Then he starts screaming. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Like, uh, for you know, I, I thought he was just gonna kind of give him shit, but then he he sort of descends into like some real raw emotion. And like we mentioned, um, in our discussions prior to the recording, it feels like it's a lot more genuine than we've seen, um, previous attempts of Ken to kind of come off as a badass. Like that was some raw um, emotion and anger. And I'm wondering what people think about um, Ken sort of coming back to life, but perhaps um, in a different way than he was before. There's a number of things that are going on with the characters in this episode that are not foregrounded, right? That's the interesting thing about how plot-heavy this episode is, is that none of the characters' sort of personal journeys are really foregrounded. Like, we're not given time to, like, really linger on sort of emotional reactions or processes, et cetera, because everything's just like, go, go, go. Um, But everything is expressed really interestingly in these conversations that the characters have, you know, how Ken reacts to... You know, the article that breaks in this episode, the scandal it cruises, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the siblings are interacting when they're on that panel. All this stuff is expressed kind of um, not in the background, but it's all expressed through action. There's like there's very little time given to linger on like, you know, why does Ken all of a sudden seem to have some kind of mojo back? Why does he seem more engaged and more willing to maybe contradict his father than he's been recently? It, it's fun on this show because um so often, right, we know sort of everything that the characters are thinking and everything that's happening. And so often on the show, I feel like I have no idea what people are thinking. I'm constantly second guessing if what Logan's saying is what he's really saying or is Logan playing fifth dimensional chess? You know what I mean? Right. You, you really don't know if you can believe anything that we see on the screen unless we actually see it. Yeah, and I think that um, also speaks to the first seasons. Something we talked about a lot was, um, you know, whether or not these people are reliable narrators. And I think it's, you know, pretty conclusive that they are not. Um, That's part of the excitement of the show that they're, you know, we're able to sort of ponder that and, you know, continually second guess ourselves and formulate our own theories about where people are at and, you know, like I mentioned before, they don't, uh, some other shows, you know, tend to, when there's a lot of plot, which, you know, and heavy plot, which of course is instrumental in succession and, and moving these stories forward, uh, I think sometimes we lose, um, we lose certain threads. Like they just say, you know, well, this, like I could see a show, you know, looking at Ken's um, experience in the, in the finale and just not really knowing what to do with that because it's hard to keep that thread going when there's all this other stuff going on. He's not allowed to talk about it, but we're reminded in subtle ways that that's still on his mind, that that happened, that that's going to be addressed at some point. Same thing with the death pit. Um, just really impressive ways that they're able to set up sort of these huge stories 
um, and not kind of um, flail in terms of knowing what to do with them and, and keep them afloat even when other stuff is going on. Um, there was one particular moment that struck me in the kitchen when they were first um, hearing that the magazine wants a response, um, where Logan says, what you don't know won't hurt you, and the camera quickly pans to, to Ken, and he kind of uh, sort of buries his face and his hands a little bit, but in a way where he's um, he looks sort of brutal and, and embarrassed, and I feel like that was just such a quick and easy way to portray... Um, you know, Ken's sort of ongoing suffering about um, this this unbearable silence that he's had to take on. Yeah, an interesting thing about this episode is that this is kind of another one of those current events episodes where this is kind of the Me Too episode, right? Where we're dealing with mm-hmm. this, you know, scandal where, you know, the victims are women um, that has to do with, you know, corporate malfeasance um, and misbehavior on the part of, you know, uh, the guy who's principally named is, you know, Lester, who passed away a few episodes ago. Um, but once again, you know, as we've talked about before, like when the show incorporates things like Antifa or the Fox News scandals, etc., um, the, the show is not really using it to like make a statement on current events. You know, we don't know what the show like thinks of all this stuff necessarily, right? Um, but it uses these events as a way, as a sort of a lens through which to view all the characters and say, how do this, how do all these characters think about this? How do they react to this, right? Like Ken has a very exactly, interesting yeah. reaction when he finds out what the nature of the scandal is. Prior to finding out what it is, he's very aggressively like, we should shut this down. And then afterwards, he's like, no, we can't minimize this. We have to respond in a way that seems compassionate, etc. Whereas Shiv has, you know, takes obviously a very uh, kind of uh, different line on it. And Logan has a very intense reaction to the idea that he's being punished for the sins of, you know, somebody else that he's not responsible for, right? I also love uh, Jerry's response when she's like, it's not bad, but (laughs) then I think she just stops talking. She's like, yeah, it's it's not like uh, it's just a lot of spooky words. And, you know, it was one woman in the 1990s, not four women like last year. And then Ken has his line about victim math. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which shuts her down. The more I watch the show, the more I think, like, if I was reading a synopsis of the show, and, and I know this is the case for a lot of people, and, and when the, it first premiered, and, and the trailers and whatnot, like, I would have no interest in what's going on um, with any of this stuff, with the business, and uh, like Brendan said, just the, the, the way that they're able to... Um, move these plots forward but through the lens of these characters that have been so well developed from the first season and and established in their roles and their weaknesses and their strengths makes it you know such an ambitious project and so much um so much more well-rounded and and um i just think it's so impressive how they're able to take sort of um some of these things that could lean into the contrived or um, you know, oh, yeah. cartoonish and really just um, make it so tight and so emotionally resonant and also so funny at the same time. I mean, what can the show not do? In, in yeah. the characters, you know, change over time. I remember in season one, episode six with the great Danny Bowes, um, you know, I asked, can Kendall change? And we seen him change quite a bit so yeah and in a way that totally tracks you know with what we know about him yeah and that's what i appreciate so much about the writing and this attention to detail 
Right. And what you say, Gabby, about like, you know, like we said, like the show doesn't take sort of make its perspective known on what's happening. And you can sort of imagine a more contrived version of the show that does do that. And in fact, we've seen that show. We've talked about it before. Right. It's the good fight uh, where, you know, current events are a huge part of it. And the show always has a strong point of view and it can be very funny. But there's you know, it's about an inch deep. Right. I thought you were going to the... mention the newsroom and that uh, clip that was going around. <laughs> exactly, too. Right. Well, well I was nervous you were going to say billions, which I ride hot very hard for. So I'm glad that wasn't the I'm case. I'm not going to get into comparing Succession and billions. I will say that I enjoy billions for vastly different reasons than I enjoy Succession. A hundred percent. But I just need to say that both up, both shows will end up doing some form of Jeffrey Epstein storyline. And... <laughs> I'm very curious to see how each show handles that, but it's coming. That's a guarantee. Kate, that's your beat. I, I, Nick and I could probably, but we won't. We've we've both been pretty ep pilled. Um, I think it's to, clear. Yeah, my third eye is open. We have to table this discussion, or our podcast is going to lose our funding, and I won't explain why. <laughs> Then, then to bring it back on topic, I just wanted to note that um, I had marked down that Kendall has big Don Jr. energy on the uh, jet. Absolutely. Yeah, Ken at his most possessed has extreme Don Jr. energy. I just imagine that's what goes down on Air Force One every time it's in the air. For, uh, for Don Jr. has never been allowed on Air Force One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then what? Then on whatever plane they let him on, if he's allowed on one. I'm lucky enough not to know really much about Don Jr. So, yeah, yeah likewise. <laughs> but speaking of that plane, sort of getting into the the meat of the episode. Um, so we we sort of get Logan's first sign of frailty in the episode on the plane scene. Again, a thread that is super important. I mean, he had an aneurysm less than a year ago. And so um, it would be sort of disappointing if they kind of just let that slide and Logan become sort of all-powerful again and no signs of health problems. But he's tired. He asks Ken to go scold the staff. Um, He pukes in a plant. You know, Ken, I think. Yeah, later on, there are other, you know, they keep saying it's the altitude, and, and but but Logan is clearly, you know, back to sort of, uh, I wouldn't say poor health, but, you know, there is a, a decline going on there that, yeah. um, you know, is quite notable and, you know, directly relevant to, to the events in, uh, unfolding. Yeah, and we've we've talked, I think, in a couple of previous episodes. We've compared a couple of previous episodes this season to episode six. Which side are you on from season one in terms of episodes that kind of you know upset the apple cart and you know make you question you know what does the show look like from this point forward? And this is really the episode that does that mm-hmm. in terms of really just like you know you know pulling the rug out from under what you thought was happening this season. Even though I know that at the end of the last episode we talked about um, how things had reached a kind of you know. Um, what seemed like a new status quo. Um, but now things are all of a sudden very much up in the air because by the end of this episode, the company's almost in a worse position than when it started um, with uh, having made an enemy of Nan Pierce and uh, the goat. we don't know what's going to come Nan. next. <laughs> Queen. I mean, every line she has is gold. Yeah, she's so fucking impressive. I mean, I feel like yeah. Cherry Jones has been 
in pretty much like every heavy, or at least half of every heavy hitting prestige drama of the last five years. And I mean, she's just inimitable. Like you can't take your eyes off of her. Yeah, she has a she has a similar like I, I've said before. Like the show is very good at you know matching the kind of gravity that Brian Cox brings to the show with the you know sort of enemies or antagonists that it gives him. And Shara Jones is absolutely somebody who carries you know a lot of that same gravity um, and is you know similarly kind of a commanding presence, even if in a in a in a different way. And she's uh, all but, dolled up this episode. She's so pretty, fine yeah. as hell. <laughs> <laughs> she refuses to wear the lanyard. She can't fit in with the techies. <laughs> She's Zuckerberg's wearing the lanyard. Why won't you wear the lanyard? Yeah, that was great and in character based on what we saw with her behavior in the the last episode. Some of her pretentious of behavior about you know just being so sort of like appalled by the entire nature of this Argestes event and she just orders tap water at lunch because you know the prices are unbelievable <laughs> meanwhile $75 cob salad <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> there was some wonderful world building in the <clears throat> Argestes set um, when we first arrive you see Lawrence in the background although he's not <clears throat> excuse me he's not um you know, brought up or shown again, but it's it's just good, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, fan service and, and canon service and whatnot. We got Stewie and Sandy there. Um, the ridiculous uh, Airbus culture culture hike and uh, itinerary. Right, Tom, um, you know, making <laughs> sure that he got the, the better gift. Did he get the nut and fruit box with the champagne and paperweight and the look on his face when Greg tells him he got the nuts, but not to worry that cashews are the size of boomerang. Uh, <laughs> um, awesome. and, yeah, lots of old school banter kind of between Ken and Roman um, about what they're going to wear on this panel. Again, another way to introduce us to the panel, which, you know, becomes to be sort of the climax of the show. Um, and, you know, doing so in a way while also kind of reminding us and um, that Ken is sort of feeling a little bit more alive, a little more revitalized. Tim and Roman are, you know, sort of getting back to normal. Um, Kate, I know that you had some some thoughts about, you know, Greg and this episode and, and his willingness to sort of, um, you know, be Tom's uh, Sherpa, which was great because, again, succession re- recycling language, recycling great language when Stewie and the uh, Summer Palace in the restaurant basement asks Ken, oh, are you a Sherpa now about Logan? So uh, that was a great tidbit. But yeah, Greg seems to be in a in a different place for sure as well. Yeah. And he might have just touched Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, um, when he was promised the new job, the new status, or maybe he's already shifted into that role. Again, the timeline is... Uh, unclear but he's definitely uh you know been been a bit corrupted by that and is way more eager um to take on uh you know tom's ridiculous uh tasks that he asks him to do as assistant (laughs) and you know later on as we see when when he's on the tour um greg or rather tom um, we definitely see some um, new Greg as well, where he's happy to 
give the party line uh, about the we hear you and um, and and convince try to convince and allay uh, Tom's fears about it, um, which he definitely wouldn't have done previously. You know, he didn't have that corporate speak uh, and wasn't, you know, um, wouldn't even wouldn't even try to convince Tom because of how torn he was and ambivalent he was with ATN. But now that he's got a new position, baby, he's a, he's a changing. Yeah. What is his new position? <laughs> Tom's assistant. Executive Sherpa. assistant. He's in, he's in charge of, uh, he's in charge of all the words that Tom says or the complicated airflow. Um, <laughs> he had, they have this uh, running bit about the slogan that Tom is going to pitch for ATN, which is originally, you know, ATN, we're listening. I think the context for that, which they don't really talk about being the uh, Mark Ravenhead scandal and the idea that uh, they're a little bit cowed after it's revealed that, you know, they're harboring fascists on their network. Um, but it doesn't work because they have some kind of uh, Alexa-esque uh, <laughs> uh, device in the works uh, that actually is listening to uh, ATN viewers who have it in their homes. So they can't use that. Uh, and instead they decide on uh, We Hear You, which then becomes We Hear For You. Um, and then also... <laughs> we there was a few iterations before yeah, they landed we, on we that hear one. For you. <laughs> it's a wonderful kind of runner that reminds me of the, uh, I think, the gold standard of this kind of thing, which is the Alden Ehrenreich Ray Fiennes bit in Hail Caesar with the Wood the Detour So Simple, uh, where they just keep saying the same thing over and over again until it absolutely loses all meaning. Yeah and, yeah, and to be clear, it is a legal gray area, as Greg uh, so kindly lets us know. So, well, you the, know. The best part, he, he says it's totally legal, but he wouldn't put it in email. <laughs> yeah, never send emails. <laughs> Again, like, totally, like, you know, trying to sell Tom that this is cool, whereas, you know, when he had principles against ATN, like... <laughs> Yeah. Well, two episodes ago <laughs> yeah. right and, and, I, and i mean this is a very funny bit but i mean you know once again is succession not really taking stands on you know or trying to say anything about what happens in its world but illustrating the stuff through you know action and, and dialogue and character ends up illustrating something that i think rings pretty true about these kind of situations where you know we talked about how greg had all these objections to working with ATN, all these qualms about what he was doing that have seemed to evaporate now that he has more money and a better title. And also this job where he gets to basically just talk about, you know, words and phrasings and he's no longer so close to, you know, the really bad stuff. So it ends up illustrating how these kind of like, yeah, ultimately really comical uh, conversations about how can we craft, how can we craft the perfectly meaningless tagline that won't get us in trouble with anybody ends up actually kind of laundering people's comfort and like suppressing guilt about, you know, uh, carrying out the kind of like awful agenda that ATN is responsible for. And right, it's perfectly like... in line with how stupid these names are, right? Because all I could think of after this episode was when NBC announced Peacock, their new streaming <laughs> network. And I was, and when I first saw that headline, I was convinced that was just a succession bit that I had overlooked or something like that. It's a, it's a community bit. It's the wee peacock comedy thing when they rolled that out. <laughs> right, exactly. 
I will say the only laugh out loud line came from this uh, little plot plot piece of we here for you when Greg says it's good because it's not clear what the hell it means. So <laughs> wiggle room. And uh, as I always watch with my mom, you all know, she also laughed out loud. So um, we're, we're quite can, alike. <laughs> can I point out my two other laugh out loud, laugh out loud lines of the episode, um, which were the Jerry telling Roman that the, the sort of, uh, you know, the MSB stand-in who has the hose to the central bank that his father is conceptualizing a, quote, th- three, uh, like, three million year uh, investment strategy. or It's some ridiculous number. Mm-hmm. And I just laughed out loud at that. It was like, yeah, it's like three million years into the future he's planning, <laughs> which is perfect. Um, and then I also, I just sort of, I thought every line that Nan says cracks me up. But especially the um, Torea, you put me in transit for grapefruit juice and a plate of eggs, um, <laughs> which is just you know all in the delivery. But I, I would you know the writers just know their characters so well. Like I have no doubt that's exactly what Nan would say. Absolutely, yeah. And speaking of Rhea, um, towards the end of that initial sort of Argestes arrival scene. Um, Logan sort of taps her and says, you know what I need from you, um, insinuating that, you know, there's something going on between these two that we may not be privy to yet. Um, and and that sort of, you know, plays out um, quite nicely throughout the course of the episode and, and by the end, and we still don't quite know, but um, it sort of explains the odd deference that not deference but um respect that that Rhea seems to have for Logan and vice versa and that they uh you know they're sort of uh pulling strings behind the scenes and and so that takes us to um you know the meat of the episode which is the the death pit resurfacing and um the death pit perfect <laughs> what a name the death pit so great, great yeah mo- so Great moment before the episode even starts is when they do the previously on succession bit and it's Tom telling Greg to shred the documents right. and like the strings are like really low and it's like, yes, <laughs> real shit is going down. Yeah, it's so great. And they handled it. Like, I mean, just fantastically. Anyway, so so the first sort of damage control session for the Roy's happens in sort of this uh, back our Justy's kitchen. Um, or the magazine's asking for a response, but they don't know quite the nature of, um, you know, what's going to be in the article. Shiv is on the phone because she hasn't been invited, and she's obviously, um, you know, a little bit miffed about that. And in the first the first uh, scene she has with with Frank back at the office, um, but then this sort of establishes the the central tension between Ken and Shiv in this episode. That's um, you know, been ongoing now for, you know, pretty much the whole season where they have just sort of fundamentally different strategies and perspectives, Shiv coming from her political background, Ken from his business background, but also their own character traits and, and, and uh, roles that they've sort of filled throughout the course of the show, um, playing a role in, in sort of their... Um, their difference of opinion on how to handle all of this. 
Yeah, and I mean, the threat that they're talking about, right, is this article coming out in New York Magazine, which is going to do something. They're not really sure what yet. They know it has to do with cruises, and that's where we meet this new character played by Fisher Stevens, Hugo, who's like, uh, he has a specific title. What is it? Uh, Senior VP of Communications for Parks and Cruises. Uh, so, yeah. Perfect that's a nothing title, too. Like, well, he, yeah. well, no, we're just well, talking about Greg's title. And it's just like, who are you? <laughs> like, isn't that yeah, exactly? Yeah, Shiv, he's Shiv a, literally he's a says, senior version you? of Greg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they have Shiv on the phone, and and Ken's wants to go like hardball in the article, get vindictive, try and cease and desist. Shiv thinks that's a bad idea. They can try and delay the article and the priorities to accelerate the peace, uh, the pure steel. Um, I like uh, Ken saying respectfully, Shiv, take a beat. You're new to this. Um, you know, he sort of gets taken down by her a little bit later on. Um, but it's, you know, a fun interplay of the, both of their perspectives on how to deal with this stuff. And ultimately, Logan decides to do both. Shiv flies out to the summit um, and then, you know, is also asking um, Jerry to, to send one of the minions to seek investors to shore up funding. And, and Jerry puts Roman on the case and... Um, I know, yeah, you, you mentioned, Nick, earlier a little bit about that um, that Edward character sort of being a stand-in for um, Saudi Prince, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's something about the line that his father has a hose hooked up to the central right. bank that I kept laughing at. And then, it sounds yeah. good, you know? <laughs> Sign right. me up. And when they're, when, the, when they're in the club scene, he's uh, he's just complaining that he's being pitched left and right. You know, he's so bored, um, you know, being this uh, mega billionaire and all these other sort of somewhat lesser mega billionaires, you know, trying to uh, uh, pitch him. And, you know, Ken, I mean, I'm sorry, Roman in that bathroom scene, um, I, I thought it was funny when... Uh, Edward's like, why is the news so, you know, and then he just kind of trills his lips. Um, and, you know, it was. Uh... Yeah, Roman's just like, yeah, totally. I get it. It's so <laughs> blah, right? Yeah, and then I, think, I, I, I hate I think... that. <laughs> I think in that scene, Greg has the line of the episode. I think the funniest line when he says he bumps into him and says, "Hey, man, big fan of all your money," which is probably the <laughs> yeah. most honest thing anybody says in the episode. Right, um, and it's incredibly he's funny. He's the perfect stand-in. He really is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great because again, like we've seen uh, Greg be really awkward and anxious in like these situations, and like after he says stuff like that, kind of second guess himself. And again, here he's like, he just moves forward, you know, like there's this confidence and he just, he says that and, and hits Roman up for uh, the old cocaine. Yeah. And I think it's notable. I, I paid careful attention to this scene, especially on a rewatch to see if we do see Roman um, actually doing um, the Coke because um, shockingly enough, given his, uh, you know, the way his uh, public-facing persona tends to be. Roman doesn't use drugs, as far as we know. We've never actually seen him use drugs, at least. Um, <clears throat> it's another thing that he sort of uses to come off as a badass, but deep down, I get the feeling that Roman is kind of afraid of drugs. I think having a brother who 
um, clearly has a severe issue with a particular drug, really shapes um, some siblings and other family members' um, ideas about that drug. Sometimes it, you know, works in the opposite way, and and um, but it's certainly not uncommon for um, for siblings to, you know, or children of addicts to to avoid. Um, the drugs that they've seen sort of plague their their um, their loved ones, and I think you know we see again the the Ken and Roman sort of protection dynamic surface in a in a more explosive way at the end of the episode. But I do think it's continually notable that Roman. A lot of people probably had the conception of Roman as just sort of this, especially from from the pilot and the baseball scene, something you know, much more, I mean, and he is a dick, like, no doubt about it, but, um, you know, as this kind of, like, party boy, and, you know, he has no ambition, and he has no need for emotions and authenticity, because, you know, he's just this rich badass, but, you know, I think we, we continually see that veneer um, come down, and I think Roman not doing drugs, and looking at Greg and saying, you know, when Greg says, ask, can I have a little bump? And Roman goes, bump, Greg, what happened? Um, I, I felt like that was sort of an, a nice audience mirror moment, which I, I, there was another one in this episode that struck me and a couple in the last episode, like when Naomi Pierce says, watching you people melt down is the most deeply satisfying activity. It feels like the, uh, the show is sort of interacting with the audience a little bit with some of those lines. And uh, and Roman's aversion to to drugs, which may be impacted by Ken's substance abuse issues, is another kind of like Trump connection because mm-hmm. Trump famously mm-hmm. abstains totally from alcohol and drugs because he had, a, I think, a brother who uh, who had substance abuse issues. Um, but this episode has a has actually two great bathroom scenes because uh, in that uh, in that first kind of damage control scene when Shiv is on the phone, the show does one of my favorite bits of like kind of staging and direction in the whole thing, which is that it just plunks her in this like coffee shop bathroom in midtown and has her just like uh trying to like you know use the phone trying to like sit down trying to lean on the hand dryer and accidentally setting it off um which is uh just has this like great spontaneous quality that also just underscores how kind of out of place shiv is in that moment great physical work by sarah snook in that it was hilarious it was so good and great staging too i mean it's always so funny to see the Roy's kind of like in a banal environment doing sort of a regular person workday activity and just like being extremely frantic and out of place about it. Um, and, and that sort of minor detail and, and excellent staging really brought that to life. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the show just has, I think, I feel like, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be anything fancy, right? Like, it just has this great grasp of the fundamentals of good drama and good filmmaking. And one of those is, you know, like, if you need something to, if, if you need, if you need a direction for a scene, try putting the character in, you know, an unexpected setting while they're having this conversation, right? Let's just have Shiv have this conversation while she's just crammed into, like, a, a men's room somewhere and see There's how There's all goes. this, like, graffiti on the wall, like she's in, you know, some, like, Brooklyn Club bathroom. It's like... The bit what, to get the key, which has yeah, the giant exactly, block exactly, of wood. Yeah, it was so perfect, like, those little details. Um, I just want to mention before we move on um, that Marsha has sort of returned to sort of her old uh, persona 
in this episode, which I thought was interesting because um, everybody was sort of struck by the last episode and her defiance of Logan. But um, when Logan presents her with the, the news that something's going to be breaking and it's going to make things him look bad, she says, um, Logan, when I'm with someone, I'm with them. And um, I'm wondering if maybe she feels like, you know, she is seeing her station returning because maybe Logan is showing some signs of illness and decline, which is um, where she sort of carved out a lot of her power um, in the last season. Yeah, she has phantom thread syndrome, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's what exactly. He's finally like softening to her and relying on her again which is what the dynamic she's really comfortable with um and 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 so you know i thought it was i i really enjoyed the warmth between them uh return in that scene yeah and her protection later on i mean even just small things like when they're in the the panel room and he's looking around she tells him you know stop looking around um the roast you know, yeah. why do we come to be insulted? Which is exactly how I also feel about roasts, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> I, I love the way she said that. And it was, it's just like such a funny cultural disconnect. Like she was truly flabbergasted as to why this is something that's funny. Um. Yeah. This is not wrong. <laughs> in, am I insane though for thinking that the Chekhov's uh, biographer, like I'm convinced Marsha is going to, like betray Logan to the biographer from the from the first few episodes. Hmm. Ooh, I don't know about that, but I was thinking about the biographer when that's going to come back into play. Right. It's yeah. you know, Marsh is my crazy long shot. Toss the name out there, but that has to come back into play. Is my feeling. Absolutely. Well, I mean, writing one of those books takes a while. I'm sure that's going to be hanging around for a while. Um, so yeah, the last of the club scene. Well, actually, quick, I want to mention something that um. Anna of No Context Royco. Um, I'm sure you guys are all following that account. It's, you know, she's doing God's work over there. And you should also follow her um, main account because Anna is great. And um, her handle is at Feel Bad Movie. Um, she posted something today that I didn't uh, see the first time in, in any of my rewatches, which is when they're outside the club and there's that sort of um, theater awning. There's something on the side that says, Welcome our Justies. See, hear, do, be. And that's like right underneath where <laughs> Greg and um, Tom are trying to like retool that slogan. Just a great detail. Um, yeah, I love to do. <laughs> and yeah, just like perfect for, you know, a way to sort of mock what's going on um, at, at, at something ridiculous like this that's um, not even that's not even exaggeration i guarantee that's a real sign that's that one of these see here i, 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 I am a hundred percent positive i i have seen things that are a millimeter removed from that at my actual corporate retreats wow yeah i mean it's, it's total nonsense and then uh, i think the last thing in the club that was interesting is that um ship kind of walks in and surprises tom and he is you know talking to an attractive woman and Shiv's jealousy is clearly activated. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, he she she asks him out, outright, were you trying to bang Nia Baden? I guess she, she realizes who she is. Um, these are all power players. And Tom genuinely wasn't because Tom doesn't want to have sex with anybody else. Um, but he brings up that under their arrangement, um, technically it would be okay. And he refers to Shiv's actor hookup and... 
you know, Shiv's excuse is that, you know, the fuck the peasants deal doesn't allow for, um, you know, hooking up with people that have a face that are a real person. Um, that's how she, you know, you know, she's like, I know Nia, even though it took her a few minutes to recognize who she was. And, and, and that's sort of a beginning of some manipulation that, that circles around back at the end. Um, where clearly Shiv is, you know, for Shiv, her end of the deal is um, not something that, you know, is is the only end of the deal that, you know, needs to be honored. Tom is not really allowed to actually fuck anybody else. And how yes. predictable was that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally predictable. Yeah. 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 To make a topical reference, Shiv is the uh, Thomas Middleditch in this couple. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you guys think he's good looking or not? Pass. Yeah. Who, Tom? Yeah, mi- no, middle middle ditch oh. because there was a Maggie, whoever his wife. And... Yeah, do you think he middle ditch is good looking? I, I saw his wife, and my man really outkicked his coverage. So the fact that he's also <laughs> into an open marriage is preposterous. But, um, you know, I didn't star on HBO Silicon Valley, so what do I know? I don't think he was in Silicon Valley. He was. Was he? Okay. Yeah, I had to Google well, that explains him it then. this discussion. But, yeah, um, that was the consensus, Nick, was that he really... <laughs> uh married up but um i thought there was he he was kind of attractive um oh, i actually don't know who you're, who you're talking about i thought you meant tom <laughs> don't look him up we're gonna we're already gonna put our listeners off their dinner <laughs> talking about this i do love the end of that conversation uh and towards the end of the episode with shiv and tom where shiv is like apologizing you know you can do whatever you want she's like honestly you know i wanted to you know go up to her and just be like back off he's mine and tom's back like back off bitch you know, yeah tom's like you know you could have done that that would have been nice that actually probably would have yeah, helped my self-esteem which you heard a lot <laughs> stick up for him stick up for tom for once in their yeah. in their life in marriage <laughs> Right. Could, I mean, could be a nice change of pace. Even when she's informing him of the death, death pit leak, she, you know, exonerates herself immediately. Well, I'm on the outside. I don't know everything. I mean, Shiv is truly kind of becoming very deplorable. I mean, for some people, that might have happened a long time ago. But um, it, it's very hard to watch, um, you know, this continual just contempt that she has for Tom and disrespect. Um, but that brings us to sort of, uh, you know, funny... Uh, subplot and thread and maybe the most popular thread of the season right now at least according to social media which is Roman and Jerry um, Rockstar and the Mole Woman so (laughs) Am I insane for thinking it's actually not a bad plan? Like it's really not an outrageous idea No I agree Uh, with you Nick No it's a good idea it is it's the best idea he's ever had I could see see it happening too certainly I mean Shiv's pissed Logan off so much you know, I, I, I could see this being a viable option if Shiv and Kendall sort of take each other down. Um, right. Because Jerry's ambitious enough that, you know, she would want to do it, but she also couldn't, um, like, find just any puppet. She would need somebody that's as, like, kind of, like, psychologically feeble as Roman that would attach himself to her permanently. She's um, doing fifth dimensional chess. I wrote that in my notes. I wrote Jerry's pulling the long game of all long games. Oh yeah, she oh, she has been the whole time. I mean, it's going to be really really interesting to see, um, you know how how that plays out because you know everybody online is like just give the company to Jerry, give it to Jerry, but you know they're not going to. I don't think 
I don't think Jerry's actually doing anything. I think that um, she's just kind of, you know, like she's keeping her options open. Like, yeah, she's playing all yeah, sides, she... but it's 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 the amount of playing she's doing is actually fairly minimal. She's just doing mm-hmm. the lawyerly thing of not revealing too much about what her exactly. actual where her actual sympathies are, and that's working really well for her because she's right. reliable enough um, and discreet enough that everybody ends up confiding in her at some point. Exactly. And she's like she's not getting in, into any backroom deals, you know. She's uh, she's just an excellent she, lawyer. And she's another very Shakespearean figure, you know. She's another like one of these, you know, like these courtiers, these functionaries that just kind of hear everything right in there in one of the most powerful positions you can be in. Right. A competent, clever filing cabinet, as Roman calls her, and calls himself a, a rock star moron, and he could be Jagger Tarzan, swinging through che- trees with my little dick. Mm-hmm. singing and killing shit and you back home cooking a soup and making sure the numbers are right Th- that to me read like roman is just proposing to jerry to be his mom his girlfriend his boss um basically you know everything that he can needs. you just fulfill all my psychological <laughs> needs please? he just wants to be exactly. taken care of exactly. that's the bottom line yeah wants to be taken he care wants... of and he wants to be validated too you know he can you know and humiliated be... Right. <laughs> he just wants to be Tarzan. And don't we all? <laughs> Jagger Tarzan. That was great. Yeah. All right. Can we talk about my actual favorite scene in this episode in terms of, uh, again, just the uh, just rock solid understanding that the show has of direction and filmmaking and writing is the scene where the article actually breaks. And at the beginning of this scene, uh, Logan and Ken are at breakfast and Hugo comes to them and says, hey, you know, the hard press didn't work. They got pissed. The article's going to drop any minute. And as they're, like, getting up to deal with it, Nan and Rhea come to the table. And so what unfolds is this scene where, you know, Rhea, Logan, Ken are all unified in trying to subtly and not so subtly pressure Nan to sign the deal as soon as possible. Um, All the while, Ken is refreshing, waiting for the article to drop. And what this is is, like, almost like the dictionary definition um, of suspense that, you know, it's this old like Hitchcock quote where Hitchcock talks about what the definition of suspense is, which is a bomb under the table that the audience can see, but the characters can't. Right. So in this scene, the article is the bomb and Nan is the one who doesn't know that it's about to go off. Everybody else knows, but Nan doesn't know. And that's what gives this scene its juice. And it's just, it's just perfect. It's just textbook suspense, filmmaking, writing direction. It's masterful. It's 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 masterful, and and uh, and to me, it was Succession doing Mission Impossible. Like that was a Mission Impossible set piece in the <laughs> Succession world. That was in Ghost Protocol when they're racing to change the numbers in the hotel room, like that. Like I felt like if they had just suddenly cut to Tom Cruise dangling from the ceiling, it would have been in line with everything else that was going on. <laughs> yeah, well, Nan is is clearly irritable and she's her suspicions are growing and um you know she's not so keen on the idea that they're really trying to push this forward she presents the idea of a, of a pgm bonus um and she also says to logan that uh you know i heard you were going to apologize for your outburst at turnhaven so clearly she's feeling you know a little bit on the defensive and uh Rhea is nudging her you know she's trying to be as diplomatic about it as possible but nan is starting to catch on and when Rhea asks about signing you know just an loi um the way that they pan to cherry jones face and her look of of uh 
you know, growing skepticism is just was such a moment where, like, I think, you know, everyone's just heart sank to their butt, like, just uh, very, very spooky and, uh, you know, portending everything that happens in the end of the episode. Holly Hunter, really... dog dot, I mean, is the bottom line. She pushed it too far. That, she what? Uh, Sorry. She, she... She got got. I mean, yeah. she pushed it too far. She, and, she um, went a little too far, yeah. She underestimated Nan. And you I think get she... the sense that it happens a lot to Nan in a yeah. weird way. Mm-hmm. She's At this point, she's clearly used to people like Logan and even Rhea thinking that they can get one over on her and that she's just sort of like the, gate, the gatekeeper of the trust fund. And clearly the family, you know, as we saw at Turnhaven, feels, at least to some degree, that that they should and do have a strong um, voice within the company itself. You know, it's Nan, at least on the outside, tries to show that it's more, it's it's not just about the money, which makes, you know, them so frustrating for, for Logan to deal with. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's an interesting thing that happens in, in this scene where I think, um, you know, uh, I think she is used to being underestimated by the likes of Logan, but she's also, uh, but but it's not necessarily from Rhea or from the people who work for her because there's there's definitely a moment in this scene, and I think it's where you know uh, Rhea says, you know, can we at least sign the LOI, uh, where she gives her a look that goes, all of a sudden she's thought she's walked into a two on two meeting, all of a sudden she's realized it's three on one, and she's in a corner. And it's only like, you know, Logan and Ken deciding to get up and move on to their next appointment that saves her in that. Um, but she, she has this, she's very taken aback and I think uncomfortable when she realizes that uh, Rhea is uh, pressing a little bit uh, harder than she should be. We also learned some information about, and I, I don't know if we have this in the notes, uh, Kate or Gabby, um, but Rhea mentions, I think, uh, you know, what her father did, I think, t- in that scene with Shiv. And I don't remember what it was, but it suggests that, you know, like Logan, she comes from maybe yeah. more of a working class background. Absolutely. Uh, it was in a minor, I think. No, no asbestos. Asbestos plan. Yeah. And and Brendan, yeah. I had completely noted the same thing. And like maybe that's why Logan has more respect for her. Um, you know, because I do think there's more backstory to Rhea and Logan. And so he may be familiar, you know, with her upbringing or, you know, at least her history. And um yeah, well, clearly, I, it, it, clearly some kind of deal has been struck that we haven't found out about yet. That's oh, what the episode really sure. hinting at. Is that there's obviously some deal there. It's like, yeah, Logan has you know more of an affinity for her because they may have similar views, have share a similar background. But obviously, there's something that's that's happened, you know, sort of under the table that we haven't yet uh, understood fully. Is there a spot for Rhea at Waystar? Yeah. yeah. So in, in the in the combined uh, Pierce Royco, perhaps. In safe room or after safe room, um, I reread it sometimes after the show, but a lot of people were speculating, and it's Reddit, but that she was promised CEO, which is not outrageous. Yeah, I mean, out of the realm of possibility. You know, he's always said he's wanted his kids, but it's Logan. (laughs) How much do we trust what he's saying? 
Right. You know, and he could easily, you know, dress it up as, you know, well, this is a temporary thing. It's the best thing for the transition while we try to merge these different cultures, etc. And then she ends up staying on indefinitely. You could very easily see that happening and Logan using it again to kick this idea of succession down the road, especially if he's dealing with somebody like Rhea, who he's kind of struck a deal with. And it's less, you know, like when he lets one of his kids in there, all of a sudden it's a question of like birthright and it's hard to get them out. Right. If he lets somebody like Rhea in who he struck a deal with, maybe it's a bit easier for him to live alongside her. Yeah, still an employee, not a scion who would suddenly start, you know, thinking they no longer needed the old dinosaur, as Shiv puts it. Right. Yeah, precisely. And, and, and Rhea's, <clears throat> Rhea's trying to definitely pull some strings here to to make this deal work. Um, you know, we see that in her private discussion with Shiv, but that's all um, preceded by sort of the second um, family damage control meeting in one of the chalets that the story, you know, has broken and they're all catching up on it and trying to um, firm up a family line. Yeah. So what exactly emerges is the nature of the scandal that's broken. So basically they've got one dancer from one of the cruises, I think in the nineties, they say um, on the record who says that, you know, everybody else signed an NDA, but I didn't sign an NDA. And Lester, uh, who was the guy in Parks and Cruises. Mo. Who's so <laughs> Uncle Mo. Uncle Mo, <laughs> who passed away in uh, episode three, um, was the one who uh, would uh, solicit uh, favors from the dancers, you know, in exchange from their, for their jobs, right? And it's also suggested that, you know, there's, there's, there's more, there's worse stuff here, that somebody died on one of the cruises, you know, was that a cover-up? Um, you know, what else? You know, what else might have gone on there? But the actual substance of the article, um, the new revelations, is basically tied to this one witness. Right. And I like the reference also of that there was a cruise dancer who jumped and drowned. And the concern is, you know, what if something like this happened to her and that comes out? Um, And it's interesting to see each character sort of inhabit their roles um, and... You know, with Ken, it's a little surprising. I mean, he seems very firm on wanting to do the right thing. And I know, um, you know, there's you know some different possibilities for why that may be. Um, and Shiv is sort of in her <clears throat> political strategist kind of slime ball mode. Roman is out of the loop. And then, of course, minimizing it. Like, this doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. Like, do I need a woman to explain this to me, why it's bad? Um, but, but Ken and Shiv, there's, there's a clear tension between their approaches. Ken says, this isn't okay. Um, and Shiv's like, yeah, we know we're preparing a corporate response. And, um, you know, her, her line is condemn and move on. Ken's line is no, this is something there needs to be consequences. Um, and I thought it was interesting how Logan seemed to respond the most to Roman's comment that doesn't this seem a tiny bit quaint compared to what's been going on in the last few years, which is sort of, you know, a nod to me too. And everything that's been emerging, um, throughout different industries. And Logan likes that. Um, of course, you know, he calls it cultural splashback that nobody actually gives a fuck. They don't give a fuck about these poor bitches. It's all about me. They hate me. Um, you know, again, some of Logan's paranoia that, you know, we saw earlier in the season kind of rearing itself again, which speaks to, you know, his decline, his health, his frailty. Uh, we know that his medications are uh, inducing paranoia a bit. And, um, yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. Like we mentioned earlier, again, the show doesn't really take a, a, a stance on that, but I think it would be, I think it's important to sort of 
sort of speak to that in, in sort of a, a broad, vague way, um, speak to sort of the, the real life issues that are very much undergirding this kind of um, this kind of story. Yeah. And as cynical as, as all this stuff is, you know, some of these, you know, all these characters, I think, you know, kind of have a point in a way, you know, Roman is right that it's like, you know, this isn't as bad as some other stuff we've heard, but that's where this expansive metaphor that the show uses of the death pit is so handy because, you know, none of us really know the extent of what's going on here, but it's implied to be much vaster, more insidious um, than anything that's been revealed explicitly. And that kind of looms over the scene, the idea that all these characters are conscious on some level that there's probably a lot more here. Mm-hmm. But how far do you want to go into that, really? Yeah, the death pit's probably pretty deep. If we're if, <laughs> if we're in the way if we're in the Royco circle of trust, I, I have a feeling that this story is not the only thing in the death pit. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, Mo, in a company this size, I mean, come on. Yeah, Mo touched everyone, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and now he's dead, and we are sad. <laughs> yeah, and now he's dead. <laughs> Well, I just love, I loved um, Roman sort of at that round table TED talk at the end, just saying, you know, we'll do whatever anyone wants. We'll yeah, just do whatever, whatever anyone whatever wants. Whatever gets you off our backs, you know, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, I definitely cringed at that. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, a little bit of that political background kicked in, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll do whatever. Yeah. I'm wondering if people have thoughts about sort of Ken's insistence that um, they do the right thing here um, as opposed to, you know, taking a more. Well, I, I, I do want to throw a little bit of water on that. And I, I don't want to say that Ken is necessarily insisting that they do the right thing because the right thing I think is probably going much further than any of them are prepared to go. But right. what Ken doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to be the bad guy in this situation. He wants to at least seem like he cares and he wants to speak to it. Um, you know, he, and he, and I think what becomes apparent in that round table at the end is that he doesn't quite know how to do that. Really. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have the, he doesn't have the words, you know, Shiv has the words, but she has no sincerity. Ken has some, uh, Ken has some thought or some desire to seem sincere in that situation, but you know, he ends up kind of stammering a bit. So it's an interesting study in contrasts between the two of them. You know, I don't, th- I don't think that Ken really wants to, you know, do the full autopsy on what happened in cruises. Uh, but you know, I, for reasons probably obviously connected to what he's been through, it's something that he can't just shrug off. It, it strikes something deeper with him. Yeah, and, you know, I obviously have, like, serious Kendall bias, but I do think that he is getting more in touch with, like, his humanity um, over the course of uh, this season. And so I do think him reacting more humanly um, versus, like, strategist, glossy, corporate-speak type thing, um, you know, was on point kind of for where he is. Yeah. At this point, but but you're right. He, I mean, he did say he was definitely stammering. Um, he did say, you know, we don't know how far this goes, and I thought that was, you know, an apt response and and on point. But I also agree, Brendan, that he definitely won't go and do the full, um, you know, find out the 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 entirety of the death pit. So so there is, you know, a little bit of. Um, not hypocrisy, but like, um, he's not fully sincere, but he's, he, he's getting he wants, there. He wants to be. Yeah. 
And I think he's getting closer. Again, I mean, like, I'm a Kendall apologist, so. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's you know what's fun. Like <laughs> so. You know what's fun is if you go on the Succession subreddit and like every thread is Raul like, wow, Shiv is so fake. You know, um, Ken is so competent and cool. He should be in charge of the company. <laughs> Do we not remember like a year ago when he fucked up like literally everything he put his hands on? Um, you know, like Ken has become a little bit more docile, and I, I do think that's made him more competent because he's uh, stopped leading, letting his ego lead him down, you know, ridiculous paths. But I mean, come on, <laughs> let's get real. I yeah, just have I was... to say that that my big takeaway from that final sort of roundtable is that I love this idea of corporate continuity being a positive in the digital age. Oh my god, that was such <laughs> I, utter nonsense. I felt my brain leaking out of my ear in a good way when that woman said that. I'm so glad that we that the panel didn't continue onto that presentation. I wonder what they had to say about that. I know. I want um, to see the full panel. Maybe they one, ab- one other thing, just speaking to the whole thread of you know the secrecy between Rhea and Logan, interesting moment at the end of that um, chalet strategy meeting. Jerry asks if she should breach, brief Rhea, and Logan says no. No one speaks to Rhea, only me, Laird, no one else. Um, again, you know, clearly some something sinister going on behind the scenes. And you know, if if Jerry is being asked to sit out, then then we know that um, you know it's pretty consequential. And then right after that, the crew kind of walks outside together. Shiv has been asked by you know, the people in that room to to be on the panel as the more acceptable face. There's a little bit of um, identity politics going on here in a more explicit way. Um, Shiv is a woman. Shiv has worked in liberal politics. Um, but yeah, that's a, I loved that sort of uh, interim scene where they're walking outside and Shiv is linking arms with dad. Um, and Jerry starts getting word of like all these canceled meetings and um, the article is clearly spreading. And then Ken sort of encounters Stewie again. Um, he says, your deal is dead in the water now, which uh, whew, some layers there. And, it, you know, that's sort of the, some, the kind of uncanny similarities between the death pit and what Ken has done, you know, individually. Of course, it's, a, it's an individual um, crime versus institutional well. <laughs> crimes. But the idea of, you know, people being dead in the water... Um, I think I think there might be some guilt surfacing for Ken that may be influencing his sort of line about needing to do the right thing. I'm not sure um, if he's fully conscious of it, but, um, you know, like I said earlier in the episode, there seems to be a moment where, um, you know, Logan makes that comment about what, you know, what you don't know won't hurt you. And he sort of, um, you know, seems to, to sort of uh, have a visceral response to that. Um, so, <clears throat> but what so, does hurt is Logan smacking you in the face and knocking out a tooth. That <laughs> that that does in fact hurt. It's just a tooth. Oh. He he. Roman will get another one, but <laughs> um, in that moment, you knew that was the pure succession hitting because they cued the theme, and uh, <laughs> and that's how you know they've got you. That's, that's you know right. when the succession episode cues the theme internally i'm like here we go let's ride <laughs> when they play the theme song in the show you know it's going down <laughs> right yeah yeah and then just, i mean yeah. sorry go ahead brendan i was just gonna say brutal scene i mean that's 
uh, <laughs> you know, there's, 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 that's, that's, an, that's a perfect example of the show expressing what it needs to through action without underlining any of it. You know, the way mm-hmm. that, um, uh, the way that Roman, you know, is, you know, bickering and japing, et cetera. And, uh, Logan goes to hit him when, you know, the person he's really mad at is Shiv, but he can't express that with her. So he expresses it with, um, uh, with Roman, his youngest, who you have to assume has been has borne the brunt of this, as has been suggested in the past throughout his whole life, and the way that Ken instantly leaps uh, between uh, his father and his brother, and you know immediately raises his voice and gets in Logan's face, just suggests that this is a dynamic that has played itself out before, that is a well worn reflex, and what that suggests is just absolutely awful to consider. Yeah, heartbreaking. Truly. Um, oh. They've just been raised like animals is, is sort of my big t- and And Roman, I think, even in the first season, talks about being locked in a literal dog crate. But, I mean, oh, yeah. Logan's just yeah. been pitting them against each other <laughs> from day one, clearly. Yeah, so, so, I mean, I think this also speaks to Logan's sort of continued health sort of flare-ups throughout the throughout the episode. There's um, a lunch between Laird, Shiv, and Logan where Laird is also suggesting Shiv be the public face on the panel where Logan um, gets flushed, he throws up, Shiv stands over him, you know, with a menu trying to cover him from onlookers. Um, you know, it's a very painful kind of humanizing moment I think a lot of people can relate to who dealt with aging parents, grandparents, etc. Um, you know, and the, the line is, you know, just, it's fine, it's the altitude... Um, but clearly, uh, you know, we know Logan is a sadist and that he always has been, but there's some, there's something, you know, in terms of his health that is also, um, you know, sort of, uh, generating these responses, these, these explosions, like he, the Roman slap and then the, the, the yelling and the sort of unhinged running after the car, running after Nan at the end of the episode well in season one the real sign of his sharp decline was when he uh uh struck uh ken's son right and that mm-hmm. was that was the moment where we were like where everybody realized you know jerry realized you know i'll i'll help you with the takeover bid this is getting out of control etc so this this idea that those moments of violence are like very much connected to him kind of slipping and you know in, in a lot of ways as you know, like the senile dynamic asserts itself, you know, reverting to old habits, right, is what that suggests. Yeah, I mean, I immediately thought went of, well. I, I went to market <clears throat> and the slap of Iverson. I know some people didn't or they thought it was different, but, um, you know, I mean, it was different in, in the sense that um, I don't think Logan ever expected um, his father to hit his son. And Roman, on the other hand, it's probably something he's seen over and over and over again throughout his life. So, you know, diff- slightly no, I, different. I, but, I but very much saw it as, you know, the same dynamic play. Yeah, out. I saw the yeah. same too. I mean, his health mm-hmm. and, um, you know, his, you know, general sort of the, the ramping up of his violence from just verbal to physical, um, without a doubt, has something to do with his health, which they, they sprinkle, you know, throughout the episode. Um and one of the big differences is, and it went to market, like at the end of that um, episode, he was able to recite the 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 game back to Marsha. So he kind of rebounded a little bit. And yeah, mm-hmm. at the end of this episode, he's completely unhinged. That's right, um, yeah. Total meltdown. 
Yeah, so there's... Right. So he's know, not, like, different... regaining, yeah. Right. Different dynamic happening. Very good point, yeah. I just want to mention, um, you know, Shiv's private talk with Rhea. Clearly, um, you know, nobody knows about this, as uh, Logan has firmly said that no one talks to Rhea, but Rhea has reached out to Shiv privately. Um, want to mention that clip of Shiv walking towards the chalet in her full black ensemble um, with the gorgeous sort of scenescape in the background of the mountains and the water and she's in all black and, you know, she's sort of strutting and looking gorgeous. And um, <laughs> Carrie Whitmer, another great fly guy, had a tweet that um, that exact moment cured her depression and <laughs> those kinds of memes I don't, I don't take lightly, but truly when I was watching that, I was like, I gasped. It was, it was just like <laughs> so sublime. And I don't know, I got Wes Anderson vibes from that. I suddenly felt like I was, you know, in sort of a more of like a whimsical setting than we usually are in uh, <laughs> something the about Wes it. Anderson Ideas Festival. Yeah. <laughs> Another Wes Anderson oh, moment for me was early on um, when Tom is on the nature walk alone again, which I think is so funny. Um, and we see Greg from overhead sort of running across this <laughs> this bridge. Yeah, the dr- um, like the rickety bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like his, his gangly body um, sprinting over it. But, it, you know, in the background, it's just absolutely stunning um, scenery. Yeah, so, so Shiv's private talk with Rhea was interesting. I think there's, um, you know, a tension between these two. There's a, there's, I think there's a mutual respect, but there's a tension also. Um, Shiv has, you know, felt a little bit threatened by Rhea's, um, you know, relationship with Logan in, in prior episodes. Um, and, you know, Shiv is there to sort of try and, um, you know, give the family line on the article because, um, you know, obviously it's not going to play well to Nan. Yeah, I really enjoyed this scene. I thought it was just shot incredibly beautifully and and holly hunter and sarah snook really knocked it out of the park um in terms of maintaining that tension between like the tip for tap but also as you said like there was mutual respect and it was really beautiful um so i that was one of my favorites of the of the episode another laugh out that was pure coppola to me too oh like yeah. I, I like Shiv that that walk and then her meeting with Rhea, I wrote down in my notes was I was like she's just become Michael uh, in Godfather Part Two. Like this is her yeah. fully yeah. buying into the family um, and sort of what it what it's going to require to sort of take that mantle from her father. Who's right. who's Rhea in that equation? Uh, I said Hyman Roth when Michael goes down and meets with Hell Roth yeah. in his house in in Part Two. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so this all goes to the, you know, the panel and who's going to be on the panel. And um, this this line make, made me laugh out loud was when um, Schiff says, oh, it's just going to be Roman and Kendall. And Rhea's like, right, Roman, lovely guys. <laughs> so she's kind of nudging her, like, can you get briefed? Um, and, you know, Shiv is convinced. Like you guys said, I think now she is, you know, seeing herself as fully in the family fold. She wants this. And, um, you know, she sees that she could be a tremendous asset here. So um, I thought it was funny when she she comes in, they're preparing for the panel, and um, she says, 
you know, that they're like, no, you know, we can't just add you now. That looks panicky. It looks like, you know, we're pandering because you're a woman. Um, and she goes, fine, send the two cover stars for Toxic Male Monthly. You know, why don't we get Ted Buddy up there? Um, and Hugo, you know, after he says he doesn't know, Logan scolds him. He says it's smart. Shiv works. Um, eventually, Logan decides on putting all three of them up there. I don't know what you guys made of that, but I think it was... Uh, just typical, you know, Logan seeing, you know, testing, testing the kids, seeing who could handle this the best. Yeah, oh, yeah. curl them all in at the same time. And, and he just wanted to see what would happen. I love the comparison to Wes Anderson because the Roy kids are kind of like the Tenenbaums, except instead <laughs> of being child prodigies, they just suck at everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's very spot on. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, the panel sort of a disaster and leads to the slap heard around the world, but at least the, the roast went well. Yeah. I don't think the panel is necessarily a huge disaster. I know we've disagreed on this. And like I said, I concede that Shiv is, you know, obviously very fake and smarmy, but like I said, there's no press there. She's playing to the people in that room. And I think the people in that room just want to hear that there is, you know, a suitably kind of, uh, 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 sort of uh, polite response to what's going on. And when they hear that Shiv's able to provide that, I think probably that's comforting to Nan, although not comforting enough to save the deal. I thought one of the big uh, shockers was, you know, Kendall does not go with the family line. Um, After the finale of season one and, you know, Summer Palace and what we've seen in this uh, season so far, I mean, this is the first time I think he's, not gone with what dad says to do, um, especially from Walter, you know, where it's dad everything because my dad said so. And instead of, um, you know, saying uh, condemn and move on, you know, he wants to look into it. Uh, you know, there he apologizes, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was, um, you know, pretty interesting uh, for Kendall. Well, I think the real <clears throat> um, panel disaster was Tom's opening act. All right. News is new. New news. <laughs> <laughs> Strong I mean, a- uh, uh, using your journalism degree for the first time energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he's, you know, pe- the audience is pretty much completely empty. People are laughing. He doesn't. Yeah, they're like openly laughing at him. The people in the audience behind Greg are just like openly laughing. You can see in the background. But yeah, the panel. Sorry. Yeah, I I had a question about the panel, and um, I was wondering from the last episode in Turnhaven and what happened at the dinner table if like we were primed while Shiv starts kind of going off course and talking dinosaur route. If the audience maybe. Uh, was primed to think that she was going to announce after the fact when I thought about it it didn't make sense whatsoever but like in that moment I definitely was like is she is that gonna happen did any of you all feel that way no I don't think they would have any reason to think that would they I mean she's getting more involved with the company but I'm not sure how public that really is. So I don't I don't think there would there would be any reason for people to think that. Yeah, no, it was really just like her going off course with the dinosaur call and you know that started to make me think like you know she's going to uh, really betray Logan at this point but 
I mean, I thought she was a hair away from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And and Marsha's line, too, afterwards, saying, you know, it was too far, Siobhan. Um, You know, it's the the question is what a disaster, not so much in what was said publicly, but where does Logan, where does Shiv stand now with Logan? Is, is she now firmly in his crosshairs and no longer, you know, once he no longer needs a, a woman sort of to absorb these body blows, how quickly, you know, is he potentially going to just hurl her to the side? And I mean, I think Shiv on the panel handled that better than, you know, obviously Roman and Ken, but anybody who would have been up there. I mean, she's <clears throat> she's a pro at this. I mean, she's a political strategist, so she knows Sorry, my voice is completely like shutting down. She knows how to be vague and bullshitty, but also speak to sort of, um, you know, assuaging fears. And, you know, she makes this bullshit line about it's about human decency that transcends management structures. And she talks about how these stories are everywhere to sort of, you know, deflect and, and, and sort of um, frame it as maybe, you know, a bad apple type of thing as opposed to an institutional thing. And, Ken starts to get really shaky. Um, <clears throat> he calls her out for working in politics and says, you know, oh, don't hold out for a straight answer. And she kind of strikes back a little later on after he says, you know, some corporate bullshit with a condescending, you know, oh, he's, he's good, right? Um, people are laughing. And Shiv clearly is in her element. And this is what she does best. And this is what she likes to do. Um, and she clearly just took the reins and... Um, you know, wasn't thinking about the family line, was thinking about, you know, how can I make myself look um, the best? And, um, you know, I, I mean, the the dinosaur thing, I think, was kind of what Nan needed to hear. Obviously, it wasn't enough at the end, but, you know, she had the savvy to know that, even if it was going to hurt Logan's feelings. Um, she, you know, she, she cut right to the heart of what, the Pierces I've been so concerned about and, you know, the whole good old fashioned dinosaur call and then the cheeky line about, no, I would never go after my dad. It's a sport others enjoy. I mean, she just, she's really good at this. Yeah. Great line. Great yeah. line. But it's a good save. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good line. A bit more but, questionable in terms of like how it reflects on like a PR strategy for the company. Yeah. How much confidence how much confidence it inspires in the idea that there's a united front there. Exactly, because you know, clearly, you know, Ken starts to get shaky. Um, you know, he starts out strong, but then he, you know, starts with the mumbling and the yeah, we don't know and and then Shiv's like, I think he's telling me to calm down and he's like, Oh no, hell no, hell no. Um, and it's it's kind of embarrassing. Um Yeah. Yeah. And then Roman, of course, you know, his one line of uh we'll just do whatever you want. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he's he says the least, and he's the one who gets it in the end. Yeah, which is why his team up with Jerry not not the worst idea. Yeah, I'm wondering what this episode says about like as we kind of uh, wind down here. I'm wondering what this episode says about you know, um, like we can see the logic in Shiv's character and like why she's responding to the situation the way she is, but like what they're starting to zoom out as the season starts to take shape, what her trajectory looks like. And it's 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 a little unclear to me, but I'm thinking about the way that the boys revert to what seem like childhood roles for them at the end. Uh, Logan also reverting to an old dynamic with them. And Shiv is kind of an observer there, right? Everybody else is, you know, reverting to this 
old routine that's well worn, that's well healed, that they're all used to, of you know combativeness, you know people being pit against each other, etc. But you know this dynamic of like real violence and conflict is something that Shiv just like doesn't take part in, and that isn't part of because you know for whatever reason because she's uh, because she's his daughter, etc. Logan doesn't make her part of that, and it's what that makes me think about is just whether she can ultimately you know find a place here or whether she's going to remain on the outside because she just can't hang on that level or she's just not going to and that's what i mean and it seems like that's what we're sort of about to find out next week is is you know can can she can she hang can she is she she ready and willing to to really sort of duke it out and uh and and come out on top no matter what it might do to her brothers or Or rather is it just something that that it's just not something that uh he's gonna allow a woman to do he's just not gonna allow a woman into his inner circle like that right well, I think in post panel, Shiv also like regained her confidence that she clearly had lost in Turnhaven and was second guessing herself. We saw her kind of confident, and I anticipate maybe she tries to make some moves. Um, don't know if she'll be successful, but I think that uh, she will try to um, maybe Kendall season one, you know, m- maybe not the vote of no confidence, but uh attempt uh to to get in there well she's got to go for raya now right raya is the big threat to her absolutely yeah and i think that that was sort of set up early on when um yeah shiv has always seemed to have some skepticism about raya and a little bit of jealousy about the relationship with logan so yeah I i think that's where that's headed i also think though that they've become a little bit friendlier um as we said like raya also called her before she flew out to our after um jerry had put her on the call and then that meeting again we felt that mutual respect so it's a it's a really interesting tension between the two of them and um i'll be looking forward to seeing how it plays out yeah it's a viable team up too it's 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 a very viable team up yeah but yeah it also speaks to what Nick was saying earlier about how with these characters, you never really know quite what they're thinking. You know, does Rhea really respect Shiv or does she see her as the acceptable face? And therefore she's trying to, to um, amplify her role so that the Pierces will, you know, sign the deal because clearly Rhea has been, you know, promised something that we don't know about. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think the fact that they keep us on our toes about it is something that's just, you know, so enticing and, um, you know, captivating about this show. So, yeah, so so that comic bit, which I thought was a little weird <laughs> that they have that going on there. Um, they couldn't that. afford to get the real Dan Nanan for one of these events. <laughs> I enjoyed the guy and want to shout out, he is the stand-up kid. I mean, no, he was he was funny. It just, yeah. I, I, I never thought at a, a Davos-type convention they would have somebody there sort of roasting all these uh, extremely powerful people. But the final line that I think um, that that causes Nan to storm out is um, the Hindenburg line. And um, it's like the Hindenburg going down and there are hydrogen blimps, sign me up. At least no one was forced to give a blowjob on the Hindenburg. Nan, obviously, you know, furious. Logan follows. Stewie with the final jab. It's funny because it's true. And then um, that confrontation between the three of them in the uh, the front of the the facility was um, pretty explosive. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. And I mean, like, there's just like it. 
it, it threatens all this stuff that could potentially happen where it looks like, you know, Rhea's being fired, she's going to be sued, Logan's probably going to be sued, they'll countersue, and like, yeah, now the company is even worse off than it was before, because not only do they not have this acquisition that's going to fend off the takeover, the takeover play is still there, and now they've made an enemy of Nan, um, and they have to fend her off as well. Mm-hmm. Good riddance to bad rubbish. That was another great... <laughs> yeah, very very in character, very, exactly. like, stodgy turn of phrase yeah. yeah the last thing i wanted to say was uh nan's oh horse potatoes great yeah. line <laughs> have no, no idea what it means but i'm gonna be using that in my daily life now and nick this uh scene when it was the three of them raya nan and logan the the score kicked in and that uh you know triggered me <laughs> to know something was going down as you mentioned earlier Oh, I was doing the full sort of Kermit dancing meme every when when that theme <laughs> kicked in. I mean, I was living for that. So, I mean, what what a way to wrap up an episode. I you know that's just that's that's pure succession at the height of its powers. Shout out uh, Emmy winner Nicholas Bertel King. Hell yeah! And um, yeah, good luck to Succession this weekend. We got Jesse Armstrong nominated for Nobody's Ever Missing. Adam McKay for uh, Celebration, and the show is also nominated for Best Drama. You know, not sure what's going to happen this year, but pretty clear that in years to come, once, uh, you know, Game of Thrones is finally uh, takes its ba- final bow, that uh, Succession seems to... I, I mean, I just... I was telling someone last night, I feel like all of the acting categories you could literally fill up with yeah. a, a person from every single person from this cast i mean well yeah, it feels like succession is going to take the throne a little bit now that thrones mm-hmm. is finally done well unfortunately i've gotten a sneak peek at the winners for this year and it looks like it's going to be a clean sweep for the romanoffs so uh, <laughs> it's too, it's, that's too bad but you know he you know, always next year that's, oh my god uh, what yeah, a disappointment that was huh he's just that good <laughs> What an episode. I really, really, it was such a terrific episode. I think it was my favorite. I loved it. It was a total pleasure cruise. Like, even the painful stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it just was delightful. Pleasure and- cruise. Great turn of phrase. <laughs> Another great episode, truly, just of, of what is easily one of the best seasons of TV in a very long time. Yeah, I like how, yeah, at the end of every episode of this podcast, we're just like, great episode. It's the greatest film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Succession is a movie. That's what I've concluded after this podcast. And Twin Peaks <laughs> is a uh, TV show. So there you go. Solve that. <laughs> that, there, was that. A, there, there was a tweet from Twitter comedian Mike Jin uh, this week after the Democratic debate where he was like, all the candidates made me cry and they will all be getting my vote. And that's kind of how I feel about this show. <laughs> yeah, I think I came... I, I've only cried once... Um, watching Succession, the Ken's um, "I Want to Dance with Somebody" scene, but the the slap from from Logan and the uh, you know Ken's reaction, this protective instinct was a pretty close one for me. I mean, my jaw was on the floor for like the rest of the episode. It really struck me hard. The titular slap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was I a raw say. slap. I mean, that was the thing with with Iverson, the Iverson slap in season one is that you don't quite see it. Like, you don't really know how hard he was hit. Was it his hand? Was it the can? But this was just so, um, you know, so explicit and so brutal. Yeah, the full yeah, the guys backhand. did not hold back. They added a little extra oomph to that uh, connecting blow. Yeah. For sure. 
it hit me harder on the rewatch. And Gabby, I envy you for only crying once. <laughs> I've come no, close. I've come close at other times. The only time I really liked the catharsis and the and the pain was inventor of acting Jeremy Strong's face during uh, that dance scene after he's you know coming to terms with what what has just unfolded for him and watching his family uh, dance and joy and and him remembering. Ten out of ten. Yeah. That's what I have to say. Five five bags of popcorn, two sodas. Yeah, Nick, thank you yeah. so much, brother. It was an absolute joy. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. Um, hopefully I get uh, invited to Eastern Europe on the next trip that the Fly Guys make. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm glad that uh, I, uh, I got the champagne and paperweights and not the nuts. <laughs> so thank you uh, for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We will be here as always next week. And uh, take care. Bye bye.